Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning. I will be taking the reading for today's service. I will be reading from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 1 to 6. At the end of the Bible reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord and you shall respond by saying thanks be to God. 1 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 1 to 6. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how are you guys doing? Again, like Pastor Femi said, my name is Adam Flint, one of the pastors at 1122, and I'm so grateful to be here with you guys. And sorry that we can't be face-to-face, but it is a huge honor and a huge privilege to get to uh, serve you guys this weekend as you worship and uh, pray that this message is, is serving you and that God moves and works in your life through this. So I have a question for you that I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but have you ever thought about what kind of life is a life that's pleasing to God? Now, I was working on this message earlier this week, and I was texting with some friends. They said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm working on this message that's about a life that's pleasing to God. And they texted back, and what, what he said was, he quoted Micah 6.8. Now, if you don't know Micah 6.8, that's okay. But what Micah 6.8 says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? And I texted back and I said, That's what the Lord requires, not what pleases the Lord. And it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because when you think, what is, it that, what is a life that pleases the Lord? Not, not a life that is just useful to God or a life that God requires or a life that is obedient to God or a life that's upright in the eyes of God or a life that's good enough to get into heaven. I mean, all those things are great and I am completely for all of those things. We should do what God requires and we should want to live upright lives and we should want to live lives that that are pleasing to God, but what is it that is really pleasing to the Lord? Because if you're a parent, you know this instinctively. You know that your kids can do what you require, but they can do it in a way that doesn't please you, right? Or if you're an employee or a boss, you know you you have somebody that works for you, and they can do technically what you require of them, but they don't do it in a way that's pleasing. And so have you ever thought, what is a life that is pleasing to God? Now, now when I hear 
a life that's pleasing to God, the thing that comes to my mind instantly is what I think about is I think about rules. I think about, honestly, I think about religious rules. I think about like, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls to do. I think about, you know, follow the Ten Commandments. I think about reading my Bible and praying and giving and serving. I mean, basically, if you take all of my teenage years and my university years and pile them all together, just do the opposite of that. And I tend to think that's what is pleasing to God. But listen to what the scripture says, the scripture that we read just earlier. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. First of all then, so whenever anybody says first of all, we ought to kind of perk up, pay attention, and see what they're going to say because it must be really important. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, that's just all ways of saying praying, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. A peaceful, a quiet, a godly, a dignified life is a life that is not only good, it's not only right, it's not only what the Lord requires, but it's a life that's pleasing to God. Now, when you hear those words, quiet, peaceful, godly, and dignified, what comes to your mind? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it an exciting thing? Is it a dull thing? Like, what is it that, that comes to mind when you hear those words? What do those words mean? And not just what do those words mean to you, but what I want to do for the, the next few minutes is I want us to look into each of those four words and see what Scripture has to say about what those words really mean. And then it might lead us to understand what is a pleasing life to God. And so the first one that Paul writes in here is he says that we would lead a peaceful life. Now look, when you, when you look up the dictionary definition of peaceful, what you're going to find are words like calm and harmonious and smooth and steady or the opposite of them would be agitated or broken or turbulent or wild or violent. And so we tend to think of, when we hear the word peaceful, we tend to think of the word peaceful to mean this very, this very relaxed, this very calm, this no worries kind of life. But biblically speaking, peace isn't primarily an emotion. And the way that we know that peace isn't primarily an emotion, like you don't, you don't have to feel calm all the time or not stressed all the time in order to live a life that's pleasing to God is all you have to do is look at the life of Jesus. I mean, if you go back and you look at the life of Jesus, he perfectly pleased the Father at every single moment of his life. There was never a second in his life in which the Father was not pleased. And yet, you can't tell me that he lived every moment in this perfectly calm way of life. All you have to do is go and look at the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is in the garden and he's praying to the Father before he's going to go on trial and be beaten and then be hung on a cross, he's praying out to God and he's saying, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he's bleeding out his skin. His capillaries are breaking. He wasn't feeling calm at that moment. But yet God was perfectly pleased with him. And so peace has to mean something else. I mean, Jesus, he wasn't, he wasn't calm 
when he was turning over tables in the temple? Was he feeling just at peace, just a peaceful, easy feeling when he was on the cross? No. But at every single one of those moments, Jesus was at peace. And he was living a life that was peaceful and pleasing to God. Because biblically speaking, peace is primarily, primarily a standing before God. It's a right standing before God. The, the word in the Old Testament that's used all the time in Hebrew is shalom. That it, that it doesn't mean to just have a, an emotion of peace, but it means to have a right standing before God. And the truth is that sin breaks the peace, the right standing that we have with God. That by nature and nurture, you and I are not at peace with God because of who we are as sinners and because of the sin that we do and the, the sins that we, that we commit by not doing anything. And a life that's pleasing to God is a life that is at peace with God, where sin is not fracturing and breaking our relationship. But it's not just a peaceful life. It's not just this vertical peace with God. Because whenever you have a vertical peace with God, then it always plays out horizontally. There's sort of two beams to the cross. And so a life that's pleasing to God is a life that is peaceful, and it's a life that's at peace and has a right standing with God, but it's also a life that is at peace with other people. And we live in a world right now, let's just be honest, we live in a world right now that is not at peace with one another. I mean, just, just take the COVID-19 pandemic, right? For most of us, we've been holed up in our homes for eight weeks, 10 weeks, We've been in the same home with the same people day in, day out. And, and oftentimes, it's not peaceful. We're not necessarily at peace with each other. We live not too far from the beach. And the other day, I took the kids and I said, let's go. We're all going to the beach. We started packing up. Everybody was getting ready. We're, we're getting ready to go to the beach. And as we're piling into the car, Kristen, my wife, looks at me and she just said, hey, um, do you think you could just take the kids and I stay here alone? I looked at her and said, yeah, why? And she said, I have not had a moment to myself in eight weeks. Like she just, she, she wanted to feel the peaceful, easy feeling, but there was, a, there was an admission in that that everything was not necessarily at peace across the board in her home. Or if you don't just take what's been going on in the, in the COVID-19 pandemic if you've been paying attention to the news and you've seen what's been going on here in the United States with the death of George Floyd, that, that racism has been an attack on the peace between us horizontally with one another. Racism is a sin. Racism is a sin that puts us not at peace with God because what we are saying when we say that one other person is less than another person because of the color of their skin is that we're denying that God made every man and woman in the image of God. And so not only does that put us not at peace with God, but we've been seeing for, for decades, for centuries, how that has caused us to not live in a right standing, in a right relationship with one another. And a life that is pleasing to God is a life, is a peaceful life, a life at peace with God and a life that pursues peace with other people. 
And the reason that God is pleased with a peaceful life is because God himself is peace. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, God has always, is currently, and will forever exist in peace, in a right relationship with himself. And so God loves us to be in a right relationship with him and with others. And not only is God peace, but God has made peace for us. That in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for those that have faith in Jesus, God has made peace for us, between us and him. And that when we live at peace with God, not only are we at peace with him, but we are reflecting that very character and nature and work of God to other people. That's why God loves a life of peace, why a life of peace is a life that is pleasing to God. So he says, lead a life of a peaceful, and second, lead a quiet life. Now, quiet, what quiet doesn't mean, quiet doesn't mean passive, and quiet doesn't mean weak. Because Jesus, Jesus got quiet with God the Father. But Jesus was anything but passive and anything but weak. I mean, was Jesus passive or weak at his arrest? Was Jesus passive or weak as he bore the burden of the sin of the world on his shoulders on the cross? The, the opposite of a quiet life is this. Clamorous and noisy and boisterous and loud. And if we're honest, most of us are living loud lives right now. I mean, you, you live in Lagos, Nigeria, on the way to being one of the first giga cities, 100 million people. It dwarfs New York City. You, you're surrounded by noise. You're surrounded by loudness. You're surrounded by clamor all the time. We live lives that are noisy and loud. I mean, we, we live these busy, hurried, overpacked schedules. And that's noise and that's clamor in our lives. We live these loud lives. We're always, I mean, when was the last time that you were waiting on an appointment or waiting for somebody to show up for lunch and you just sat quietly? <laughs> like, I mean, we always have Spotify or Instagram or Netflix or some podcast playing. When was the last time you just took a walk we're, we're always pouring this sort of loud noise and living these loud lives. And then there's just social media. I mean, social media, for as fun as it can be, honestly, it's just a lot of clamor, isn't it? It's just a lot of noise cluttering up our lives. And in so many ways, you and I are living noisy, loud, clamorous lives, but we live those kind of lives. Here's what we do. We live those kind of lives because honestly, we're trying to numb a pain in our life. We're trying to drown out or numb out some sort of hurt or some sort of sin or some sort of pain or something in our past. And you know it, right? When you get quiet and your mind wants to go there and what the tendency for us to do is to not go there and let the Lord heal us in that place. But what our tendency to do is to drown it out and to numb ourselves with loud and noisy lives. Or we'll do, we'll live a loud and noisy life because we're just trying to justify ourselves. I mean, 
you, you fill up, I fill up, we fill up our schedules and we create busyness to try to portray to the world that we're important people, like somehow busy schedule an important person. Busy schedule and valuable life. Somehow we, we think we put those things together, but all we've done is created a loud and noisy and clamorous life. Or we, we just pretend. We fill our lives up with lots of noise and lots of clamor and lots of loudness and lots of activity to try to pretend to others that we're really better than we are. The other morning I took my daughter out. She runs on the cross country, the running team for her high school. And they were meeting to run out at the beach. And we went out to the beach. It was, they were going for a sunrise run. And so they all went off to run one way. And so I decided to take a run and go the other way. And as I was coming back, it was right at sunrise. And it was incredible because, I mean, the sunrise was gorgeous. It's coming up out of the water. And I mean, it's just painting the sky. And as I looked at the sunrise and then I looked at everybody else that's sitting on the beach or standing on the beach, do you know what nobody else was doing? Nobody else was looking at that sunrise. Everybody else had their phone out and they were, you know, taking pictures of themselves or they had their friend and they were posing and all this. And I just, my thought was, we're filling up our lives with so much loudness and so much clamor and so much noise and we're missing it. We're missing Life, a quiet life is a life that's turned down the noise and turned down the volume of this world and then it's tuned back into God. That it's singularly focused on God and it is a, a quiet life is a listening life. A quiet life is God, I'm listening to you. Speak, lead, God, I'm here. And that kind of life is a pleasing life to God. Now listen, in, in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, for as horrible as it's been, I mean, I don't want to minimize the 100,000 or so deaths in the U.S., maybe more at this point, and across the world. But, but hasn't there been a moment in all of this where some of the noise has been cleared out of our lives. Some of the clutter has been cleared out of our lives. The, 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 the pace of our schedules has just slowed down a little bit. And in the middle of that, what God is giving each of us is the opportunity to live a quiet life. To, to live a life where we, where we can say, God, clear out all the noise and all the loudness and all the clutter. And God, I just want to listen. I want to lead a listening life to you. Now let me, let's just talk for a minute about how you do that in the normal pace of life. How do you lead a life where the volume of the world is turned down and then the volume of God gets turned back up? How do you lead a quiet and listening life? I think you need to have a time and a place and a plan where you listen to God. I mean, I'm a morning person, so I love to get up early I get up about 5.30 in the morning. I have my spot on the couch. I get my cup of coffee. It sits right on the table. I keep my Bible right in the drawer. I have a Bible reading plan that I follow. And that, that, there's nothing like super religious or super special about it. It's just a time and a place and a plan that helps me turn down the volume of the world to turn up 
tune in to what God is doing. Maybe one of the ways we turn down that volume of the world is that we just don't always talk. We don't even always talk to God. Then maybe sometimes in our prayer life, what we need to do is stop talking and just say, okay, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. God, what do you have for me? One of the ways we turn down the volume of this world is that we lead a life of repentance. Martin Luther, the first of his 95 theses was that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. Maybe one of the ways you turn down the volume of the world tune in to God and turn God's volume back up is that you fast. That, that you would say no to the noise and the clamor. Maybe that's food. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's television, Netflix, whatever. I don't know. But maybe there's a period in which you fast from that in order to turn the volume of God back up. Maybe the way you turn down the noise and turn up God is that you would lead a discerning life. That you would be asking the question, God, where are you leading me? And a life that's pleasing to God, it's a peaceful life, and it's a quiet life, and it's a godly life. Now, when we hear godly, here's what we think. We think religious activity, <laughs> and it's that. But before it's religious activity, it's an identity in God. That the word godly literally means God-like, Jesus-like, Christ-like. And that, that to lead a godly life is to, is to have this identity that will eventually result in activity. But a godly life begins by saying, God, you're the one that's going to define who I am. That my life is going to be like your life. That the, the, this world is not going to get to define who I am. You get to define who I am. And that's Christ-like because that's exactly the way Jesus lived his life. Jesus lived his entire life by saying, Father, you define who I am. The world wanted a political king to overthrow the government. And that's what they wanted Jesus to be. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to be who God has sent me and called me to be in this world. I'm not going to let you define who I am. I'm going to let God define who I am. But the problem is, so many of us are not trying to be godly. We're trying to be God. We're trying to be God instead of to be like God, to be like Christ, to be like his life. We're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the spotlight and turn it around and point it on us and to say, look at my glory and look how great I am and look how wonderful I am. Instead of a godly life that says, no, 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 you know what? My life, my life is not this magnifier of me. My life is a mirror that is used to reflect the character and the nature and the glory and the excellencies and the grace of God to this world. And that kind of life looks like a life when you are defined by God. That kind of life looks like being led by the Spirit, to live a Spirit-filled and a Spirit-led life. That you would say, God, what is, is this for your glory? God, how do I live my life that it's not all about me, but it's about others? Lord, your Spirit is leading. What is your Word saying? Lord, your Spirit is filling me. 
I want to pray and seek your direction. Lord, I want to live a spirit-filled life, a spirit-led life that leads people to come to know who your son Jesus is. I want to lead a spirit-filled life because that's a life of love. That's a life of the fruit of the spirit. So a life that is pleasing to God is a life that is a godly life. And a godly life is a life that lays down all of our rights and leverages everything we have for the good of others. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus had all the rights for all eternity as the king of the universe. And he laid down those rights, took on flesh, became us, knelt down, condescended himself, and gave up all of his rights that you and I and leveraged everything in his life that you and I might be able to become children of God. And that a God-like, a godly, a Christ-like life It's a life that's lived like that, and that is a life that is so pleasing to God. It's a life of discipleship. And so there's a life that's peaceful, and a life that's quiet, and a life that's godly, and then a life that's dignified. Now listen, I gotta be honest. When I read this one, I just think boring and stodgy and dull. When I hear the word dignified, I just think dull and stodgy. But here's the thing. Jesus was dignified and Jesus was anything but boring and stodgy and dull. Think about the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. It was to take water at a party, at a wedding. Probably in almost the whole town probably would have been invited to this party. And the very first miracle that Jesus performs is he takes water and he doesn't turn it into grape juice. He turns it into wine. Think about Jesus. He's not boring and he's not dull. He goes into the temple, makes a whip, turns over the table and starts cracking the whip and driving all the money changers out. Is that stodgy? Is that dull? Is that boring? I mean, people ripped roofs off of homes just to be close to Jesus. It's because he was anything but boring, stodgy, or dull. I mean, he called religiously self-righteous people whitewashed tombs and broods of vipers. That's anything stodgy or boring or dull. People called Jesus a glutton and a drunk. Not because he was those things, but because he lived life in such a way with such a fullness and such a, such a power and a living life just to the absolute fullness that they had no category for it other than to call him those things. He wasn't dull or stodgy or boring. And then the first disciples, you just go and read in Acts 2.15, the day of Pentecost when the, when the spirit descends and the church is birthed, People start accusing the first followers of Jesus on that day of being drunk. And the disciples have to stand up and go, listen, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Dignified isn't dull. Dignified literally means honorable, good, kind, and strong. It looks 
like 1 Corinthians 13. Dignified looks like love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love holds no record of wrongs. That's what dignified looks like. Dignified, biblically, looks like Galatians 5.22 and 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Dignified looks like John 10.10. Dignified looks like life and life to the fullest. That's a life that is pleasing to God. And so the question that I have to ask myself is, why do I not want these things? Because if I'm really honest, there there are times where I, I push back and I resist a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life. And part of it is, I just bring a whole bunch of my junk to what those words mean. And I need to be, have my mind and my heart reoriented to what God means by those things. But I also push back against those things because, honestly, I believe the lie, the peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified are not going to actually lead me to life and life to the fullest that Jesus promised. I believe the lie. Or I, I see people that have power and possessions and position. And I think, I want those things, but I see them acting in ways that are other than quiet or godly or dignified or peaceful. And then I buy into the lie that I, that I need, first of all, that I need power and position and possessions to be happy. But then I also buy into the lie that somehow living opposite of a way that pleases God is going to lead me to the life that I really want. And I buy into the lie. But just imagine, just imagine for a second what a life of peacefulness and quiet and godliness and a dignifiedness looks like. Imagine the joy and the freedom and the purpose. Imagine the witness. Imagine the worship that would just naturally flow out of a life that is like that. Imagine how different, imagine how different our homes would be. Imagine how different our, our workplaces, whenever you can go back to your workplace. Imagine how different that'd be, how different your schools would be, your universities would be. Imagine how different our relationships would be. How freeing, how joyful those things would be. The problem is, though, that we aren't at peace with God. And we can't make ourselves be at peace with God. You see, you and I were created in the image of God. We were created to be at perfect peace with God, to have a right relationship with God. But because of sin, because we chose, we looked at God and we said, God, I know you created me to have a relationship with you, but I think life would be better if I did life my way instead of doing your life your way. And we rejected God and we pushed God back and we said, God, I know better than you. I don't trust you. I'm going to trust in myself. And the minute we did that, sin entered the world. And ever since that time, our relationship with God has been fractured and it has been broken and a chasm 
between us and God has come into place. And because God is a holy God, he can't tolerate our sin. God will not allow sin into his presence. And so because of our holiness, God will not allow us to have that relationship when we are in our sin. And God is also not just holy, but God is just. And because God is a just God, he doesn't just turn his back on sin. I mean, do you really want a God that looks at the injustice and the sin of the world and then just says, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that. I'll let that slide. Sure, come on. No, no. You and I want a God that sees sin and sees injustice and sees hurt and sees brokenness and he engages it and he deals with it. The only problem is we love it when it's for everybody else, but what happens when we're on the end of God's justice? And scripture says that the wages of sin, the justice and holiness of God, when those things meet and come against our sin, the wages of that sin is death. Which means that you and I, we can't do anything about our sin. Because sin doesn't make us bad, sin makes us dead. And dead people can't do anything to fix their condition. And so that leaves us helpless to our sin. But not only is God holy and not only is God just, but God is loving and God is merciful. And I know when you hear me say that, the thought is, well, how do you reconcile holiness and justice and love and mercy? And it's not like you get a little bit of one and less of the other or more one and less of the other and they all sort of balance out. No, we get all of the holiness of God and all of the justice of God and all of the mercy of God and all of the love of God. And the only way those things can all be brought in their fullness is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That on the cross, we see the justice of God poured out against sin. And on the cross, we see Jesus, who knew no sin, actually become our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see all the justice of God that we deserve poured out on Jesus. And in return, we get all of the love and all of the mercy and all of the peace and all of the restored relationship back with God. That's how we have a peaceful life with God. We don't create it. God gives it to us. And so how do you have that kind of life? Look. Look at what it says in the passage we're looking at today. It says that we get to have a life that is peaceful and a life that is quiet and a life that is godly and a life that is dignified. We get to have a pleasing life to God by asking for it, by asking God for it. He says in 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all, then I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made that, we're to ask God, we're to pray to God and ask God all those things. Ultimately, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified life in every way. God says, do you want a life that is pleasing to me? 
Do you want a life that is at peace with me? Do you want a life that is quieted and listened and is led by me? Do you want a life that looks like the life of my son? Ask me for it. Ask me for it. God's glad to give it. And that's the second thing. The way that we have that life, it comes because God wants us to have this kind of life. Look what verse 3 says. This is good. He's talking about that life. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. God, ha- God wants, God desires deep in his bones, God wants for us to be saved, to be in a right relationship with him, to be at peace with him, to be listening to him, to be led by him, to be pulled up close to him, to look like his son Jesus, to live life to the fullest. It comes when we ask for it. It comes because God wants to give it. God is not holding it back from you right now. In this moment, if you're thinking, I want to live a life that is pleasing to God, you need to know that God wants to give that life to you. And then that life finally comes by faith in Jesus as the mediator and the savior and the ransom. Look what verse five says. It says, for there is one God And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You and I, we don't make or earn or figure out our way into a pleasing life with God. We receive it. And we receive it from God our Savior that Jesus is the mediator, the chasm that has occurred in our life because of sin, where sin has, been, has broken the peace between us and others. Only Jesus can be the mediator, the bridge that connects us and brings us back to our heavenly father. And he's the ransom. Do you know what a ransom is? I went to high school with two sisters that were kidnapped and their parents had to pay a ransom. A ransom is a price that is paid to set a captive free who otherwise could never set themselves free. And that's the condition that you and I are in, in our sin. (laughs) That you and I are captive to our sin. We are captive to a life that is not at peace with God. But God, is our ransom. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price in full, to pay the debt, to pay the ransom for you and me, to buy us back so that we could live a life at peace with God. So that we could live a life that is listening to God, that is close to God, that's led by God, so that we could have a life that looks like the Son of God. We could live a life that is a life to the fullest, a life of the fruit of the Spirit, and a life of love. So here's my question for you today. Do you want a life that is pleasing to God? Do you want a life that is at peace with God?
Do you want a life that's close to God, that looks like the Son of God, is of the fullness of God? All you have to do is ask God for it. Trust that what he did in Jesus Christ in the life, death, and resurrection counts for you. That you would admit that you can't do that. That you would believe that God has paid the ransom. That Jesus is the mediator. That God is your savior. And that you would confess him as your Lord and that he is risen from the dead. So right now I want to invite you. Even if you're sitting in your home, if you're in your car driving somewhere, pull over to the side of the road. Somebody's around you. Turn to them, look at them, and just say, that's the, I want a life that is pleasing to God. I believe and I trust for the first time that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that he is my mediator, that he is my ransom, that he has secured the pleasing life for me. Maybe you just, you'd raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Maybe you'd get out your phone and you'd, you'd text Pastor Femi right now and just say, Pastor Femi, I, I believe and I trust that Jesus is that for me, that I, that I want that life that God has for me. Let me lead you in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't just invite us into a life that is useful to you, like we could ever give you anything. Father, thank you that you don't just have things that you require of us, life of duty. But God, you invite us into a pleasing life to you. Do you invite us into a life with you that, that would bring a smile to your face, that would bring glory to you and joy and happiness. So Lord, I pray that you would lead us in a peaceful, godly, quiet, dignified life that is pleasing to you. And Lord, for anybody today that has heard this message and for the first time has surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the, the party that is being thrown in heaven around your banquet table right now, God. Thank you that you have ransomed them and restored them and brought them back into peace with you. And Lord, I pray that they would be led, that they would lead a listening life to you. And they would lead your life and life to the fullest. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.